It is time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Hope your weekend was wonderful and hope you're enjoying this Monday here in late June. Charlie Bramer joins me. We got some Brewer and Buck talk coming up, starting the day with the Wisconsin Sports Report. And then I've got a special segment coming up later on for you. What's up, Charlie? I am really happy to be here, Tanner. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, Buck's been making some moves. So have the Brewers. Where do you want to start? Well, I always just go right to the Brewers because I think we get a little complacent with just how good Christian Yelich is. He just ended his 18-game hit streak. That was kind of disappointing. Longest hit streak of the year for anybody in Major League Baseball. During that 18 games, he batted a cool 453, scored 17 runs, had eight homers, eight doubles, and an OPS over 1,400. It's pretty good. So, and then and then Mike Moustakis, those are pretty much the only two guys. Well, yes, Monty Grandal's been hitting. Um, he's been hitting leadoff now. They've been so desperate. Mm-hmm. And during the last 16 games for Moustakis, he has an OPS of over 1,200. And and I'm really hitting on those guys. You know, the, the MLB vote is coming up uh, June 26th. It's going to be, you know, get the vote out for the starters. And and it's not just my homerish bias Yasmani Grandal is the best catcher in the National League, and and Mike Moustakis has played so far the best second base in the National League as far as offensive and defensive production combined. So I, I'm just really trying to get the vibe out there. Maybe people. I am not going to support Mike Moustakis, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm still mad about 2015 when the Royals were on their way to winning the World Series. And the final man in, that last vote came down to Mike Moustakis and Brian Dozier. And there was no way Moustakis deserved it over Dozier. This is back when he was with the Royals. The Royals fans were so hyped that they were finally good, and they were finally going to contend for a championship, that they just voted him in, and they just outvoted someone who actually deserved to be there. Thankfully, Dozier did make it as a managerial selection. Yeah, because he was him. just that good. He yeah. was that good, and then Mostakis goes like 0 for 2 with a strikeout. Dozier hits a home run and is only at bat. So I'm still a little tiffed at Mostakis for that. Well, his year this year, I mean, he did hit 38 home runs, I believe, in 2017, and and he's well on pace to, to surpass that. And... um I gotta tell you, man, he made a really nice defensive play to end the game the other day. Um, uh, snapped the Brewers' five-game losing streak. Um, he deserves it more this year than he did in 2015. Certainly more than any <laughs> year before this. I would say, I mean, you look at his OPS and what he's doing, how he's playing well-rounded. This is by far the best year of his career. And hey, why don't Brewer pitchers like Derek Dietrich? He got to hit six times this weekend. He, it. I have not ever. Since I've been watching baseball, seen someone so blatantly. I mean, <laughs> if you watch the replays, four out of the six, he leaned his elbow out to take the pitch. Because he, he's a guy you have to pitch him inside. Mm-hmm. It's the only way to beat him. And that's why he crowds the plate exactly. like that. And he wears that big elbow pad. Um, yeah, setting records. Uh, I think I heard him talking about that on Levitard this morning. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, he got hit five times the first two games. And that, that set a record for any series. So, and of course, he ended up getting hit more. <laughs> well, and speaking of Levitard, you know, to piggyback on that, they were having a discussion today. If you've got a major league salary, but you have to lead the league in hit by pitches, would you do it? 
Oh yeah, would get, you really? Getting plunked by baseballs is not <laughs> as long as you don't get hit in the face. I mean, there is a couple places. And I think we know the other place. I'm I'm thinking of. You know, they have protection for that. But I mean, if you just take one in the arm, in the back, you know, on a bone can be on right on the elbow oh, can really I know. the wrist and right on the the shin, the kneecap that can really hurt. But oh, Chapman on your wrist. But it is. I gotta tell you, man. Like being being barely 180 pounds and playing football having a 300 pound guy sit on your head and like crack <laughs> your neck and just the horrible things from football you know getting hit by a baseball i just it doesn't it it's just doesn't have the i mean it coming at you you hear that baseball sizzling coming at you you know it it, it definitely gives you gets a reaction you know you go oh it gives you that sting but it, it's not as bad as people think it is that should be our question of the day for the audience if you got a major league salary but you have to lead the league in hit by pitches. Would you do it? Well, and Derek Dietrich, he's getting hit on that elbow yes, pad he is. consistently. There was one time where he got hit above his elbow pad this weekend. Then, of course, he was crabby about it. Um, warnings had to be issued. But but it was still it was on the meat of his tricep. So so that's still not that bad of a spot to get hit. It really, I mean, if Alex Claudio is throwing, I think I think my mom could get hit by those and she'd be fine. But if a guy, you know, if Justin Verlander's throwing, then yeah, nobody really wants to get hit by that. Aroldis Chapman would scare me more than anybody. Yeah, yeah, and Josh Hader, the way he just slings that ball, it doesn't seem like he has any control. He's just hucking it up there. Yeah, that that would that'd be a little unnerving standing up there, wouldn't it? Oh well, I tell you what, off day for the Brewers today, and they, as you mentioned, they snapped their losing streak. Hopefully, they can get back to winning ways here before the All Star break. Yeah, they've won their last two now. They were able to split that four game series with the Reds. Um, I have been, I've been really. I mean, I, I hyped up Adrian Hauser last week when I was on here, talked about how good he's been pitching. This last week, a couple more relief appearances, hasn't given up a run. So far in relief this year, 14 games, he's got an ERA of 105. He's 2-0. and Overall, he's, he has an ERA of like 2 and a quarter. So they finally promoted him. He's going to start. They, they put him back into the starting rotation. He just made a couple spot starts early in the year uh, for injuries. But he has officially found himself a spot in the starting rotation. I'm super stoked about that because um, of his four-pitch mix. And and he's really it's taken him three years to finally get his velocity back fully from Tommy John surgery, but I think he's going to be a top of the. I think he's really really going to balance out this rotation. It's going to be a big big deal when when he's in the rotation and Gio Gonzalez, the lefty, can get back in that rotation. I really think it's going to smooth things out. Yulis Chassin, I don't know, man. He just does not have it. He just does not have it. He cannot locate his fastball for anything. Tell you what, you'd be proud of me these last couple of days. I have been a part of two mock all-star drafts, one on this show and one in my podcast. Both times I picked Yasmani Grandol. That's that's great, man. He's the best catcher. I mean, I like catchers who can rake. His OPS as a catcher this year is almost a 950, and I mean that's darn near unheard of for a catcher. And now, like I said, he's hitting leadoff. He became the first catcher in major league history the other day to lead the game off with a home run. I thought that's kind of an interesting. How about little, that, yeah. There's another interesting little tidbit. Every day, every day in baseball, you see something that's never happened before. How about tonight? The Yankees with a chance to set or at least tie a major league record. They could homer 
in their 27th straight game tonight. That would tie the franchise record set by the 2002 Texas Rangers. You you have to assume they're gonna they're gonna break that record. That lineup is just keep unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's not ridiculous. fair, especially with the addition of Encarnacion. Oh, I mean, and and he's going to be hitting homers into his 50s. I mean, and and then speaking of things I haven't seen before, so the Bruce game yesterday was pretty interesting. Uh, Di Sclafani started for the Reds and. Um, the Brewers had Brandon Woodruff going. Sclafani struck out the first nine batters swinging. Mm. Um, he struck out the first six he faced. Did He ended up striking out the side in the third inning swinging as well, but he also gave up five runs in that inning. Oh, boy. And um, of his ten outs, I believe nine of them were via the strike. Um, he only went four in the third innings. Mm. So so he didn't have the greatest day. But Travis Shaw hit a 464-foot home run. Um, Christian Yelich hit a 460- and a 450-foot home run last week. Even Orlando Arcia hit a 430-footer to right center field. You know, that's like left lefty pole power from a r- little right-handed shortstop. So the Brewers have really been hitting definitely not wall scrapers. Um, but I thought it was interesting that they finally started to make moves in their starting rotation. They had Aaron Wilkerson. They called him up and, and sent down Corbin Burns because they have guys at AAA, guys like Birch Smith. Uh, he, he has a sub-2 ERA mm. starting at, at, at AAA this year. And, you know, that's I think he started 12 games. It's not a small sample size. Mm-hmm. And Trey Supak at AA has a sub-2 ERA uh, in, in 14 starts, I believe. Um, and, and, and Wilkerson in 10 starts, he had a 1.97 ERA. Um, so, so they really have guys that have major league experience that are really throwing the ball well at AAA, and, and they're finally starting to dip into that. And, you know, I wonder how many games. I, I've been wanting them to make these moves for 10 days, maybe two weeks now. They're finally making these moves. And I'm just, like, wondering how many of these games would they have won if they'd have made these moves just a week earlier. Well, I tell you what, they are in the market for a few wins this week. They are playing Seattle tomorrow night. I know. That's going to be a fun series. Yes, a fun series and some familiar faces. It's always fun when a team that doesn't come to Miller Park very often makes their way there. And mm-hmm. and oftentimes teams, you know, uh, like the Mariners coming to this uh, homer-friendly park, you, you usually see a pretty fun baseball game. A really bad Mariners team, especially defensively. Yeah, and just one more little tidbit. Keston here is up to 17 home runs in AAA, and his OPS now for the season at AAA is over 1,000. So, yeah, Travis Shaw hit a 465-foot home run the other day. But I'm like, how much longer can the Brewers leave this guy down in, down in AAA when, when he's hitting like that? It's just unreal. Well, I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. We owe you a timeout. When we come back, Charlie's got some thoughts on the Bucks trade from last week, plus their salary cap situation. What's going on with Chris Middleton? All that and more next in the Sports Pen. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Charlie Bramer joins me in studio. Well, last week prior to the draft, the Bucks and Pistons engaged in a trade. Yep. They get rid of Tony Snell. They free up some cap space. Good move for both teams. Snell fills a need that Detroit... Big need. Yeah. That Detroit. He's, he's going to be a starter for sure for he, the Pistons. He very well could be. For sure, yep. And then I tell you what, uh, Milwaukee, you know, they don't really have a lot of use for John Lohr maybe in the long term, but cap space freed up, 
And right now the priority's got to be re-signing Chris Middleton. You and I were talking off the air. We both think they should. Will they is going to be the question. Well, the the word on the street is uh, Middleton wants a long-term deal to stay in Milwaukee. And this move, getting rid of Tony Snell, if they can potentially move John Lure and get out of that contract... Then we're really talking. I mean, then they'd have another who they could offer Brooke Lopez over well over fifteen million and have enough to re-sign Lopez, Middleton, and Brogdon. Yeah. Um, and and even potentially another one of the free agent group. Um, I would not be surprised, depending upon who they have for takers, they might be able to get out of that Ursan Ilyasova deal. He is a guy with some value. He's he's a little overpaid right now. I believe he has two years, uh, fourteen or fifteen million left on that deal. So it's not crazy, but that money would sure help. So if they could get out of that Urson deal and re-sign Miritich, that'd be great. But but what's probably going to happen with John Lure because no one's going to want to pay him that nine million dollars, and the Bucks don't really have much for draft picks to sweeten the deal as far as oh you know once you buy our draft pick what they can do and and the bucks do this a lot and and it really eases their cap space it seems like john horse is pretty confident that they're going to be in the luxury tax and they're going to be paying in the luxury tax this year and for a small market team like the bucks oftentimes they are quite averse to to getting into that luxury tax but the Bucks, I, I like what I hear from the front from the front office guys. They seem really willing. They know that winning isn't cheap, and they seem genuinely committed to winning. There's been times over the years with the Brewers, just an extra ten or fifteen million dollars to that payroll could have made all the difference. Mm-hmm. And um, they hadn't made those moves um, this last off season. They finally did, and and now the Bucks are as well. If they cannot find a trade suitor for John Lohr, what will most likely happen is they will essentially cut him, and then his salary gets prorated, so the $9 million would be spread out over three years. So then he'd only be a $3 million cap hit for each of the next three years, and that becomes really, really manageable for them. And like I said, it it gives them almost a whole another a big chunk of money to offer to a guy like Brooke Lopez, who they otherwise probably wouldn't have enough money to retain. And and there is talk out there um, because Malcolm Brogdon isn't uh, a true free agent and he's restricted and they have his rights. Now, some team could come along and offer him a ridiculous deal. The Bucks not might not have the money to match, but I bet they will. They should have the money to match it. And I would not be surprised to see the same starting lineup back next year and 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 you know a few months ago i did not think the bucks were going to be able to pull that off and it really looks like they've put themselves in a position to do that so i'm really happy with the front office and and the moves that they've been able to make to put themselves in this position and it's just funny because oftentimes you don't usually feel that way about your team's front office so it's nice to feel that way for a change well i tell you what it's got to be priority one getting everybody back they had a good enough team that i believe a few bounces go differently they win that game three in overtime against toronto They're probably NBA champions right now. They had a good enough team to do it this year. If the only way you get Chris Middleton back is giving him the max, I think you got to do it. I think so, too, and I think that's the way the Bucs feel, and they'd rather not. But if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do, because it's like we said before, they're not going to replace him with that money. Mm -hmm. They're not going to pay somebody else. Um, You know, 
what are they going to give Jimmy Butler that money instead? <laughs> Is that really an improvement? I don't think so. Um, I think Chris Middleton fits this role for the Bucks better than uh, Jimmy Butler, and and there's that huge familiarity aspect, and it seems like that's something that's really important to Giannis, and and I think that's another thing that plays into all this is that's why the Bucks want to bring back Brogdon, that's why the Bucks want to bring back Middleton, the familiarity with Giannis and, and keeping Giannis happy, and it's really all about um, after next year, next offseason, getting Giannis to sign that Supermax extension. You really get the feeling that Giannis just with his his tweets and and the things that he says that more important even than winning to him which i don't know if anything is much more but almost as important as winning is is his familiarity and his teammates and his his uh you know he was so loyal to jason kidd um and he was just a coach so the loyalty there um with Giannis, i think it's gonna behoove the bucks a lot to 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 keep these other guys around, to keep Giannis happy and potentially keep him around. You're going to hate this, but with the Bucks seemingly dragging their feet about Chris Middleton, I, I'd give it to him right now, whatever he wants, because right. I want him to stay. If I'm a Milwaukee fan, I could see him being a perfect fit over in L.A. with the Lakers and what they've just done. There are teams that are, you know, he, he could just potentially be waiting for chips to fall. And, mm. and um Hopefully what he's doing is is he's testing his value and hopefully he'll whatever offer he does get he'll go to the Bucks and say <laughs> hey do you guys want to match this and hopefully they'll say yes and and I get the feeling and and just with what with what's going on um and in the reports that are being put out there and what players are saying in interviews I get the feeling that that's kind of where we're at right now mm. with this whole thing I don't think the Lakers will get into a bidding war with the Bucks they can't they don't have the money to do it especially when they could address their shooting need with a guy like JJ Redick and get him at a much cheaper price than Middleton so I don't think Middleton's going to LA he might go elsewhere but he's not going to LA but that would be kind of fun to watch, I tell you what. Anthony Davis, LeBron, and Chris Middleton, that could be a fun combo. But I'm right. with you. I think he's got to stay in Milwaukee. He's one of those guys you just can't lose. Brogdon, I wouldn't give the Supermax yet. No, not yet, and I don't think he's going to get it. Um, um, there are teams that have a high rating, have a really high value on him. Um, the Bulls seem to be a team that have a lot of interest in him, mm. but I, I get the feeling that the Bucks will be able to match. It's kind of like the whole Kyle Fuller situation last year with the Bears. The Packers did throw him quite a lofty offer, uh, but the Bears were able to match it, and I think mm. that's what we're going to see from this Bucks brogdon situation. Brogdon to the Bulls? I would feel bad for Brogdon. I'd take a pay cut to stay in Milwaukee if I were Brogdon so I didn't have to go play for the Bulls. And Malcolm Brogdon, it's kind of interesting just with things he's said about the city of Milwaukee haven't been the most positive, but yet on the flip side, he keeps saying he would love to be there. You know, you hear that a lot from guys. Um, but I, I do think he really has enjoys the nucleus there with the team and 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 in Milwaukee they're, they've really built something and and I think I think these players want to keep that going because they know they haven't reached their potential together you know if they would have won the championship this year might have been easier for a few guys to leave but I think they they really want to keep this nucleus there and, and really see what they can accomplish together as a team and as far as Tony Snell leaving you know there were some people that really did not like that in Milwaukee but but that that production, if you really get down to the brass tacks 
and you're looking at you know plus minuses and all these different things. Um, his production is easily covered by Pat Connaughton, who the Bucks are paying a fraction of the cost to be there as they were Tony Snell. His defense earlier in his career was was kind of his go-to, um, and and then he kind of became known for shooting. And it almost seems like his defense has fallen off a little bit. Um, so guys like Sterling Brown, um, I'm really looking. I think Dante Divincenzo is going to play a really big role on this team next year. Um, but I, I think moving forward, they're really going to look to Dante DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton to fill those wing roles um, that have been voided by, by some of these departures. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you on the Sports Pen, the Wisconsin Sports Update with Charlie. Love to bring it to you here every Monday in the Sports Pen. Appreciate you as always, my man. Have a great week. We'll talk at you next Monday. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me, Tanner. And next time, I've been looking at some Packers stuff. There hasn't really been anything super noteworthy, but maybe this week um, the Packers will give us some stuff for next week. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks again. Let's take a time out. When we come back, I've got a special segment for you. We We are going to go through all 30 major league teams, their most valuable, most improved, and most disappointing players. We hit the halfway point in the major league baseball season this week. That is next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your SportsCenter update. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver says the league is moving away from using the term owner because several players say the term has racist undertones. They will now call the position governor. Derek Dietrich set a major league record this weekend getting hit by a pitch six times in a single series. And finally, if America were to add a 51st state, A 51st star would be added to the flag on the next 4th of July. That is your Sports Center update. Once again, glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. So here's what we're going to do. This week is the official halfway point of the Major League Baseball season. I've got a list of all 30 teams' most valuable, most improved, and most disappointing player up to this point. And we're going to start in the American League. And I'm going to go through this record by record. So we'll start at the top. We'll work our way down. First on the list, the Minnesota Twins. They sit at 50-27, and 27, best record in the American League. There are a couple of guys I could have nominated for MVP. It's a toss-up. I'm going to give honorable mention to Max Kepler. could say that he's most improved as well, but I have somebody else in mind. There are two particular guys on Minnesota, and it's weird because they have retooled their team. They've gotten some players that have made them competitive, yet both these individuals were on their team last year. In fact, they came up through the twin system. They're homegrown guys. I want to say Eddie Rosario. I think you can make the case very easily that Eddie Rosario is the Twins' first-half MVP. I think you can say that, and you wouldn't be wrong. But I'm going to go with Jorge Polanco. Polanco has been exceptional for Minnesota this year. He leads the American League in batting average at 324 and total hits with 96. He's got a war of 3.7, wins above replacement 3.7. That is seventh best in all of baseball. Polanco has turned it on offensively this year. The reason I'm going to go with him over Rosario is because Rosario was putting up similar numbers to what he is last year. He should have been an all-star last year. Polanco has taken a big step forward this year, and I know, I know he could fit in the most improved based on that logic, 
but his increased output is a big reason why Minnesota's been able to make the jump and get into the AL driver's seat. Most improved. Gotta go with Jake Odorizzi. His 10 wins are tied for most in the AL, actually in all of Major League Baseball, along with Lucas Giolito and Justin Verlander. He's got a 2.58 ERA. He had the best ERA in the American League for a couple of weeks. Now he's in third. He's retooled his arsenal this offseason. He literally is maybe the most improved player in baseball because he added a couple of pitches he didn't have last year. Specifically, he's added a cutter. He's greatly improved his splitter. His slider has become a much more effective strikeout pitch. He only used it 18% last year as a strikeout pitch. He's retooled his arsenal, and that's a big reason why he has become the pitcher that he is and why the Twins are in the position that they are. Most disappointing? Tell you what, there's not a lot of guys who have disappointed on that Minnesota team. Even the guys who don't play every day. The platoon guys. Ari Adrianza, Marwin Gonzalez, Mitch Garver. Those guys have quietly put together strong seasons when they do see the field. If I have to go with anybody, I would say Michael Pineda. And he's not been that bad. 4-3 with a 4.76 ERA, 14 walks, 62 strikeouts, but he has been touched up for 14 home runs. He's susceptible to the long ball, and I thought he would be a little more consistent. You know, I wasn't expecting him to be a top-of-the-rotation guy, but I did expect a little more consistency out of him this year. And granted, he hasn't played since 2017 prior to this season. And some days he's really, really good. Other days, he's vulnerable, like yesterday. Moving on to the Yankees, 49-28, second-best record in the AL. There's a few guys I could have given MVP to. Their offense right now is scary. As much as I hate to say it, I still think the Yankees are the favorite to win the American League. And out of all those powerful bats, I'm going to go with Glaber Torres as their team MVP because of the word valuable. The true definition of valuable. Torres stepped in. They weren't expecting a whole heck of a lot out of him this year. Wasn't supposed to see the field. They have a stacked infield of Gregorius, Tilowitzki, LeMayhew, Andahar, and then a bunch of those guys start getting hurt. All of a sudden, there's the need for Torres. And his production not only far and away exceeded expectations, but it was a big reason why the Yankees were able to stay afloat despite so many injuries. Torres is hitting 287 this year, slugging at a 544 clip with 18 home runs, 45 RBI, and a war of 2.7. Not bad for a guy who wasn't supposed to be on the Yankee roster this year. Most improved. It's got to be Giovanni Urshela. Urshela's a guy that never really got his shot in Cleveland. It was never going to happen behind guys like Kipnis and Lindor and Jose Ramirez. Comes to New York, still doesn't really get a shot. Kind of the, the door opened for him when Miguel Andahar got hurt. And he took advantage. Hitting at a 306 clip, 824 OPS. On base and slugging, 824. 34 RBI and a war of 1.3. That is third among Yankee position players. He's another big reason why. His increased production helped the Yankees stay afloat despite so many injuries. Most disappointing, that's Brett Gardner. The outfield has continued to get better around him. They've continued to retool that outfield, bringing in guys like Stanton and Judge, Aaron Hicks. And Gardner has lost a stranglehold on a starting spot in the Yankee outfield. Right now, he's platooning with Aaron Hicks. Hicks is just getting a little bit more of the playing time right now. 
but playing time's not going to be there for Gardner like it once was, especially as he gets up there in age. He's at 35 years old. He's hitting 236 this year. His OPS is at 764. He's only driven in 31, and he struck out 41 times. Again, outfield spots just aren't going to be there like they used to, especially with Edwin Encarnacion coming over. Encarnacion is a power bat. You don't want to stick him in the field, especially the way that Luke Voigt's been playing at first base. You want to keep him in the lineup. So that means Encarnacion's got to be the DH, which also means that both Stanton and Judge have to play the outfield. John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge are going to be your corner outfielders. That means there's only one outfield spot left. Right now it's Aaron Hicks getting the majority of the time. Third in the American League is Houston, 49-30. and 30. There's a lot of guys, again, I could have given their team MVP to, but I got to go with Alex Bregman. Bregman's hitting 263, not bad, not bad, but that's not why I'm giving him team MVP. He's slugging at a 529 clip. His OPS is at 920. 21 home runs, 51 driven in. How about this, though? He gets on base creatively. He has drawn 57 walks, 57 walks. 51 RBI, and he's got a war of 3.7. He can play so many different spots defensively. He can play third. He can play short. He can play second. He can play first. Bregman's a big reason why Houston is looking to win another American League West title. Most improved, I'm going with Michael Brantley. Originally, I slated Brantley as their team MVP, but I think he's taken a big step forward since coming over from Cleveland, and that's why I'm going to put him in the most improved slot. He is hitting at a 320 clip. Slugging is at 890. He's hit 21 doubles, 11 home runs, 42 driven in, and his strikeout rate has been cut almost in half. He's always been a speedy contact hitter. He's even more so now, plus he's adding power to his repertoire. Michael Brantley is continuing to evolve, and he's a big reason why Houston is in the driver's seat in the West. Most disappointing for me, this one's Jose Altuve. I was expecting a lot out of him, and I know he's been dealing with injury, but he's hitting at just a 247 clip, OPS 785, 16 extra base hits, and just one stolen base in 43 games. It's not Altuve-like. So those are the top three teams in the American League. Let's go to the wild card slots. Right now, the first slot occupied by Tampa Bay, they sit at 45 and 33. Their team MVP? Again, a few different guys you can throw in there. I'm going with Tommy Pham. He's hitting 295 this year, slugging at a 478 clip. His OPS, 879. He's got 12 doubles, 11 home runs, 33 RBI, and 45 walks drawn. His war is at an even two. He's taken a big step forward since last year. I could have given him most improved. But I've got somebody else better suited for that. And that is Austin Meadows. Last year... Played in just 59 games, he had 9 doubles, 2 triples, 6 home runs, 17 RBI, stole 5 bases, and he had an OPS of 785. This year, 60 games, so roughly about the same sample size here. He has upgraded his batting average to 304. He's got 13 doubles, 4 triples, and 12 home runs, 41 driven in, 8 stolen bases, and a 930 OPS. Again, small sample size. But he's making the most of his time in Tampa Bay, and he's putting together an all-star caliber season. Most disappointing, this one's a no-brainer. It's Blake Snell. The reigning Cy Young champion, 4-6 and six this year with a 4.40 ERA. He's been touched up for 10 home runs in just over 75 innings of work. Now, the math majors out there will tell you that's about a homer every seven innings. When you're the reigning Cy Young champ, you should be able to go about seven innings a night. 
It's the polar opposite of what Snell went through last year. He pitched well, but he didn't have run support. Tampa wasn't a very good team last year. This year, they're a pretty good team, albeit you wouldn't know that if you saw their attendance. But they're giving him run support, and he's not able to hold it. Blake Snell has been the most disappointing Tampa Bay Ray this year. The final playoff spot, as it stands right now, occupied by Cleveland. Again, we're just about at the halfway point. Cleveland is 42-35. and 35. And I tell you what, the front office severely mismanaged the team this offseason. They went away from the formula that had won them four straight divisional crowns. They decided to go all in on pitching, and yet they still couldn't extend Trevor Bauer. The best move that they made was bringing back fan favorite Carlos Santana. He is the team leader in the following categories. Batting average at 293, OPS at 957, doubles with 14, homers with 17, 53 runs, 47 RBI, and he's drawn 56 walks. Carlos Santana is leading in almost every offensive category. Bringing him back was the best thing that the Cleveland front office did this offseason. Most improved? Jordan Luplo has taken a few steps forward. He's had to. You don't have Brantley in that outfield anymore. You don't have Lonnie Chisenhall. Luplo hitting two fifty two this year. That's up nearly 70 points from a year ago when he was with Pittsburgh. He's hit eight doubles, nine home runs, 23 RBI, 13 walks drawn, and he's got an OPS of 831. Again, he's not putting up all-star caliber numbers, but he's improved greatly, and he's a big reason why Cleveland is clinging to a wildcard spot. Most disappointing? Aside from Blake Snell, this was the easiest one for me to do. Despite all the mismanagement from the Cleveland front office this offseason, nobody, not even the greatest baseball minds, could have predicted the drop-off in production that Jose Ramirez would experience this year. J-Ram's average is down to just 211 with 19 extra base hits. He's got 29 RBI, but 43 strikeouts. They need his bat to pick up. They flat out do. Cleveland is not going to make a playoff push if he doesn't figure it out. He does have 18 stolen bases this year, so he can certainly wreak havoc on the bases, but they need his bat because Cleveland doesn't have a lot of quality bats in their lineup right now. They're relying on pitching, and again, the front office made a huge mistake not extending Trevor Bauer beyond this season. Contract is up at the end of the year. Sources say he's likely to go elsewhere. So those are the five teams in playoff position in the American League right now. Again, if you missed it, we are going through all 30 teams' most valuable, most improved, and most disappointing players at this point in the season. Again, halfway point is this week. Just outside the playoff picture, Texas, actually half a game behind Cleveland. They are 42-36, and 36, a team not a lot of people are talking about, but they're kind of good. 42-36, yeah, kind of good. Joey Gallo is their team MVP this year. 276 average. His OPS is over 1,000. He's got 17 home runs. He's driven in 41. How about this, though? He's drawn 42 walks. He's one of those typical feast or famine guys. But if he's going to be one of those guys, how about having a little plate discipline? And Joey Gallo certainly added that to his repertoire. He's a big reason why Texas is on the verge of getting a playoff spot. Most improved? How about Danny Santana? Danny Santana played 97 games in 2017 and 2018 combined. He's played in 54 already this year. So he's getting a chance to get back onto the field. His average jumped from 179 to 309. He's got 22 extra base hits. He's driven in 24, and he's got a career-high 883 OPS. So again, the numbers aren't all-star worthy, 
but there's certainly an improvement. Danny Santana's getting his chance to be in an everyday lineup again. Most disappointing for the Rangers, that's Roughnet Odor. Hitting just 175 this year, slugging under 600, 82 strikeouts. And again, we're not even at the halfway point this season. 82 strikeouts. And for some GMs, that's permissible. As long as you can knock the ball out of the park, that's not the kind of hitter Odor is. He has home run power, but he's not a typical home run hitter. By the way, he's got a negative wins above replacement average, negative 1.4. The Boston Red Sox, 42-37 and 37 as it stands today. Their MVP, I debated. I'm going to go with Xander Bogarts. Could have gone with J.D., but I'm going to go with Bogarts. The defense is the tiebreaker. J.D. Martinez is mostly a designated hitter. Bogarts can play the field, and he plays his shortstop position really well. Offensively, he's hitting 294. OPS is 911. He's got 14 home runs, and he leads a team with 26 doubles and 51 RBI. Plus, he's drawn 46 walks. Bogarts is putting up all-star worthy numbers. The problem is the shortstop position in the American League right now, it's a hot commodity. There are a lot of good shortstops in the AL right now. Most improved? I didn't want to put a rookie up there. But I'm going to make an exception for Michael Chavis. Chavis made his Major League debut earlier this year, filling in for Dustin Pedroia, whom we don't know if he's ever going to see the field again. But he wasn't in the Red Sox long-term plans coming out of spring training. Yet here he is. I count it as most improved because it's a big improvement from what we saw in spring training. He's hitting 259 this year, OPS 779, 12 home runs, 37 RBI. He's burst on the scene in a big way, similar to what Glaber Torres has done for the Yankees. Most disappointing, that's got to be Jackie Bradley Jr. Not defensively, but it's his offense that makes me put him in this category. JBJ hitting 216 with a 314 on base percentage, slugging just 377. Seven home runs this year. He has struck out 73 times and only drawn 27 walks. Offensively, you can't like what you're getting out of Jackie Bradley Jr. The Oakland A's are quietly putting together a little bit of a run. They're sitting at 41 and 38. Team MVP so far, I'm going with Matt Chapman. Honorable mention to Frankie Montas because he's been exceptional in the starting rotation this year. 9 and 2 record, but I'm going to go with Matt Chapman. 266 average, OPS is at 882. He's hit 20 doubles, 18 home runs, and he's driven in 43 for a war of 3.1. Chapman has taken that step forward. So has their most improved player, Marcus Simeon. And again, the reason I put Simeon in this slot instead of Chapman is because the defense factors into it. Simeon's batting average sits at 276. That is up 20 points from last year. His on-base percentage is 359. That's up 40 points. And his slugging percentage, 438. That's up 50 points. He's got 18 doubles, 10 home runs, 39 RBI. And again, it's his fielding. That makes me want to give him most improved. Because for a few years, he was among the worst defensive shortstops in baseball. His fielding percentage is now up to 981. That's up 11 points from last season alone. And since 2015, that's up over 30 points. Most disappointing Oakland Athletic this year, that's Chris Davis. He's hitting at a 248 clip. He's slugging at a 463 pace. But you remember last year when he burst on the scene and he willed Oakland back into playoff contention after a terrible start, ultimately did make the playoffs, Chris Davis became Crush Davis. And he does have 16 home runs this year, but it's coming at a 71 strikeout pace. His war, 0.2. Again, his numbers aren't bad, 
But I was looking for him to take that next step forward this offseason, and that's why I'm giving him most disappointing. The Los Angeles Angels are 39-40. and 40. Team MVP, it's a no-brainer, guys. It's Mike Trout. He's hitting 307, OPS 1.108. He's the team leader with 22 home runs, 56 RBI, and 68 walks drawn. His war, 6 even. Honorable mention, Andrelton Simmons is putting together a really nice season, hitting 298. But you're just not going to surpass Mike Trout. Most improved, how about the breakout year for Tommy LaStella? Hitting 297, OPS is at 848, 15 homers, 43 RBI, and just 26 strikeouts. So he's putting the ball in play with power, and he's doing it consistently. A couple of years ago, he was a platoon player with the Cubs, not platooning in the lineup every day, but coming up from AAA Iowa. Listella has found his home as an everyday player in Major League Baseball. Most disappointing, that's Cole Calhoun. He's hitting just 232, OPS 794, 38 RBI, and 69 strikeouts. A couple of years ago, he was putting up all-star worthy numbers. I thought he would take that next step. He's taking a step backwards. Honorable mention for most disappointing, Jonathan Lucroy. It's amazing to think where he was a few years ago to what he is now. Next up, the Chicago White Sox. They are sitting 36 and 39. Team MVP is a no-brainer. Lucas Giolito. And of all the White Sox pitchers had taken the step forward that he has, White Sox would be a contending team. 10 and 2 record, 2.74 ERA, and he has a whip of 1.02. He was the first American League pitcher to 10 wins. He is tied for first in all of Major League Baseball with Jake Odorizzi and Justin Verlander. Audible mention though, Yoan Mancata. If I got to go with a position player, Yoan Mancata has been the White Sox MVP. Most improved. Again, you can put Giolito in there, but I'm going to go with Tim Anderson. Anderson is hitting at a 319 clip. He's hit 11 home runs, 13 doubles. He's stolen 15 bags. Anderson has become one of the best offensive shortstops in baseball seemingly overnight. A hot start to this season. He hasn't cooled off. Still needs to work on his strikeout rate. He's drawn just seven walks, and he struck out 54 times. But the numbers offensively are getting better, and that's why I'm giving him most improved. Most disappointing White Sox, that's Yonder Alonso. You can't be an everyday first baseman hitting 178. He's got 38 hits in 65 games. When you're not that good of a fielder, you're known as a power bat, you better be producing. That's why the White Sox brought him in. He is slugging at just a 304 clip with 13 extra base hits. He struck out 53 times and his war, negative 0.9. You have the Seattle Mariners. They are sitting at 35 and 47. Team MVP, Dan Vogelbach does it for me. He's hitting 251, but his OPS is 911. He's got 18 home runs, 44 driven in, and he's drawn 53 walks. So he is getting on base. Something that can't be said for a lot of the Seattle Mariners right now. Most improved, I'm going with Omar Narvaez. He's a guy that never really got his shot in Chicago. He finally gets away from the White Sox, goes to an organization where he can be an everyday catcher, and he's making a good run at it. He's hitting 295 this season, OPS 851. He's hit seven doubles, 11 home runs. He does have only 28 RBI. I'd like to see that number come up, but he is playing for the Mariners. We've got to keep in mind. Not a lot of guys are getting on base. They're not scoring a lot of runs. I feel bad doing this. Most disappointing. You could give it to the entire team, especially their defense but I have to give it to one guy, and I feel bad for giving it to Mitch Hanniger, considering what happened to him a couple of weeks ago. 
rupturing a testicle during a game, every man's worst nightmare. But I tell you what, Hanniger on the field has not produced like he needs to this year. This was an all-star candidate a couple of years ago. This season hitting 220 with a 314 on base percentage. 81 strikeouts compared to 30 walks. Hanniger needs to be better when he's on the field. We're wishing him a speedy recovery. The Toronto Blue Jays sit 29 and 49. Their MVP, I'm going with Eric Sogard. I'm riding the hot hand. He's had a great month of June. He's hitting 305, 876 OPS with 28 strikeouts, and he's stolen five bases. He's getting the ball in play, he's doing it consistently, and then he's a threat to run when he's on. Sogard is the Jays' MVP early on. Most improved, I'm going with Lourdes Guriel. He's hitting 286. His on-base plus slugging is 896. He's got 11 doubles, 9 home runs, and he's stolen 2 bases. Most disappointing, how about Justin Smoke? He's another guy like Yonder Alonso. When you're not a great fielder and the team can't stick you in the DH spot, you better be giving him a reason to put you in the lineup. And Smoke isn't right now. 225 average, 48 hits in 62 games. His OPS is 423, 18 extra base hits. The Detroit Tigers sit at 26 and 47. Is it wrong of me to give Shane Green their MVP? He's probably been their best player. He's got an ERA under 1, 0.93. His whip, 0.86. 29 strikeouts in 29 innings and 21 saves. Very likely, he will be the Tigers' representative in Cleveland for the All-Star Game here in a couple of weeks. Most improved, I'm giving it to Jacoby Jones. He's hitting 252 this year. That's up 45 points from last season. He's hit 12 doubles, 9 home runs, 22 RBI, and he's stolen 6 bases. Most disappointing? I know he's not up with the club right now, but how can you not be disappointed if you're a Tiger fan with Jamer Candelario? The Tigers had such high hopes for him. They were hoping to make him potentially a leadoff hitter. And Candelario in the minors right now, at the major league level, he's hitting 179 in 42 games, 277 on base percentage, 9 extra base hits, 9 RBIs, 50 strikeouts. And the Tigers still believe the potential is there. I want to believe it. I like the way Candelario plays, but it's been a rough year for him. It's been a really disappointing year when they thought he was taking steps forward. The Kansas City Royals sit at 27 and 51. A few guys I could have given their MVP to. I want to say Whit Merrifield because he's second Major League Baseball in hits. But I'm going to go with Hunter Dozier. Hunter Dozier hitting 311 this year, just came back off the injured list. His OPS sits at 989, 61 hits in 55 games, 13 doubles, 3 triples, 12 home runs, 28 walks, and 44 strikeouts. His war? 2.7, best on Kansas City's roster. Again, honorable mention, Whit Merrifield, but I'm giving it to Hunter Dozier. Most improved, I'm going with Adalberto Mondesi. He's hitting 269 this year with 8 triples, 44 RBI, and his 27 stolen bases lead the majors. He does have 85 strikeouts, however. Something to work on, but he's improving all across the board. Maybe just not in the strikeout category. Jorge Soler, I will say, his numbers have come up dramatically. I'm giving him honorable mention for Royals most improved. He's having a breakout year. Most disappointing, that's Lucas Duda. Another guy like Smoke, like Yonder Alonso. 152 average, OPS is just at 505. He has three extra base hits, 10 RBI. His war, negative 0.7. Last one, the Baltimore Orioles. They round out the American League standings at 22 and 56. Their MVP's a no-brainer. It's the guy who's going to represent them in Cleveland here in a couple of weeks. Trey Mancini, 
305 average, 928 OPS, 13 doubles, 17 homers, 2.3 war, and his ability to play multiple positions has been a huge asset for them this year. He can play first, he can play left, he can play right. Had to play a little first base with Chris Davis' slump early on. Now he's starting to become the everyday option there with the outfield getting retooled over in Baltimore. Mancini's been one of the few bright spots in what's been a really tough Orioles season. Most improved, I'm going with Hanser Alberto. He played in 89 games in his first three seasons. He missed the entire 2017 season, and yet his average is up last year from 185 to 307. His OPS, by the way, 709. Taking steps forward. Most disappointing? I'm going to go with Alex Cobb for this one. He did have season-ending lumbar surgery. He only pitched 12 innings this year, but he went 0-2 with an ERA of 10.95. By the way, in his 12 to third innings, he was touched up for nine home runs. Alex Cobb was brought to Baltimore. They thought he would bolster the rotation. Starting to look like his best days were back in Tampa. Those are the most valuable, most improved, and most disappointing players from all 15 American League teams. We will do the National League tomorrow. Be sure to tune in. But first, let's take our last time out when we come back. Some news and notes to finish out the day. The U.S. women's soccer team stays alive, plus Michigan two wins away from their first baseball title since 1962. College World Series Championship starts tonight. We preview it next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just look up ESPN-UP. If you missed any part of our special segment, part one of a two-part series, that's where you can hear it. Check it out on demand by getting our free mobile app. We are going through all 30 Major League Baseball teams, everyone's most valuable, most improved, and most disappointing player through the first half of the season. We are at the halfway point of the Major League Baseball season as of this week. We have the AL edition today, NL edition coming out during tomorrow's sports pen. Hope to have you here for it. Well, earlier this afternoon, the U.S. women's soccer team got all it could handle from Spain, a 2-1 win for the Americans to move on to the quarterfinals where they will take on France. Megan Rapino scored both goals for the U.S. The game was tied 1-1 within the first nine minutes. Each team was on the board. The U.S. is able to score in the 76th minute. About 19 minutes later, the game went final. So what is it about Spain that gave the U.S. so much trouble? Spain's a good team, don't get me wrong. They played the U.S. to one nothing back in January. But they really gave the U.S. all they could handle, and a real scare as the U.S. is trying to defend their title. A lot of it has to do with Spain's formation. They came out in a 4-3-3, nothing too fancy. They possessed the ball for 45% of the time, but they were able to set up crossing patterns. They had 12 crosses compared to the U.S.'s 5. They set up opportunities for themselves. Unfortunately, they couldn't execute. They only got one shot on goal. When you know that you have a team in front of you that's just flat out better, you got to be tactical. you got to outsmart them, outstrategize them. Spain had one heck of a game plan going into the game today. They didn't execute it well enough. They gave themselves chances, but they couldn't finish. They half executed. And because of that, the U.S. is moving on to the quarterfinals where they will take on France. Now, if you're a U.S. soccer fan... France should scare you. Take away France's home field advantage. Take away the lack of rest, what have you. 
France is just a flat-out good team. If there are three favorites in this tournament, it's got to be the U.S., Germany, and France. Those are probably the three most talented teams in this tournament. Now, France gets to take on the U.S. on their home soil. It's got to be a home crowd advantage for the French. And Spain had a good enough game plan to beat the U.S. today if they could have executed. France is better than Spain. They take what Spain did. Maybe they execute a little better. Maybe it's a different result. The U.S. is going to have their hands full for the second straight game when they take on France in the quarters. Elsewhere, Sweden, Canada, they are in progress right now, another quarterfinal. We have baseball coming up this evening on ESPN-TV, Game 1 of the College World Series Championship. Best of three series as Michigan takes on Vanderbilt, 7 o'clock first pitch once again on ESPN-TV. It's kind of eerie how this worked out, how this matchup played out. June 12th, when all eight teams arrived in Omaha at Epley Airfield, Michigan and Vanderbilt touched down at almost the exact same second. And now here they are, the last two teams in college baseball. You want to go a little bit further with the connection between the two programs? How about the two head coaches, Tim Corbin and Eric Bakich? In the same group chat, their wives' friendship is what brought them together in the first place. And each of them credits the other with their success as a head coach, as a head coach in college baseball. 18 years ago when Tim Corbin was an assistant coach at Clemson, one year away from going to Vanderbilt and turning them into one of the most impressive juggernauts in all of college baseball's history. Clemson decides to take on 23-year-old Eric Bakich as a volunteer assistant. When Corbin does get his shot as a head coach, he foregoes many qualified and proven assistants to hire his guy, Eric Bakich. Bakich would go on to be the head coach at Michigan. You know the rest. Bakich at 41, his seventh year at Michigan. He's got the Wolverines in the College World Series for the first time since 1984. Taking on his mentor, Tim Corbin, 57 years old. Him and his Commodores are no strangers to Omaha. They meet tonight. I would love to see what the group chat is like between those two. Michigan going for the first championship since 1962. Well, I tell you what, we are out of time. I appreciate you tuning in as always. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place. Be sure to tune in here on ESPN-UP. Signing off from the WZAM studios, my name's Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen.